Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Long Island Bunker as we get ready to celebrate the holiday this week. Folks, I'm very excited because we decided that this week on Woke AF was really largely going to be about the labor movement, to be about workers fighting for their rights and fighting for not just a decent wage, but a thriving one. As I said in my interview earlier in the week with Francesca Ramsey, it's really important that we are thoughtful about the language that we use and the conversations and the narrative that we have. Because outside of the 1%, folks, sure, there are gradations of workers and labor. We understood that very plainly during the COVID-19 pandemic when the privileged were able to stay inside and stay safe while the essential workers, the ones that oftentimes make the least, were forced to be outside, right, with no protections, and recognizing that a lot of what we are seeing now spawned out of that time, a time when we were told that in order to work, you need to be inside of a cubicle, eight, 10 hours a day, five days a week. Well, lo and behold, when that work had to turn to remote work, guess what didn't happen? The folding of a bunch of companies, right? Guess what didn't happen, right? The shareholders and CEOs not being able to make money. They did, doubly time over. And you know what we got? The ability to have control over our own lives, the ability to do both and, right? Take care of our families, take care of ourselves. Why, in fact, holding down a job? And so during this time, I think that we are recognizing, and in my conversation coming up next with our friend, labor rights advocate and author, Kim Kelly, 
you know, we talk about whether or not this moment that we have been in for the last year plus is a moment or is it a movement, right? Are we going to see more industries striking to get the benefits, to get the resources that they deserve, right? We know that capitalism is a fucking lie and a scam. It is the pyramid scheme to end all pyramid schemes. But we know until it's done, we have to find a way to operate inside of it that is healthy for us, right? That actually gives us the resources that we need to live not just a decent life, but to live a good life. One that allows us to be able to not just survive, but to be able to thrive. And so what does that look like? In this conversation with our friend Kim Kelly, we look at, you know, the scope of this year, the strikes that we've seen from healthcare workers to actors to writers to auto workers and more, and discuss what we think about what we have seen and whether this is truly the beginning of a reorientation and a reimagining about how we see labor moving forward. Coming up next, my conversation with Kim Kelly. Folks, I am always excited uh, when I get the opportunity to welcome back to the show Kim Kelly, who is a freelance uh, journalist, person who is the go-to person about labor, about workers, the author of Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor, um, whenever we talk, Kim, I, I'll tell you, I get off the, get off the call and I always feel like, okay, we're like, we're in this, like we're doing this, like, you know, like we can do this, we can change how this society functions. And it is going to be a bit by bit, bite by bite, you know, strike by strike type of situation. But I want to get like your sense now that we're closing out the year where it has been historic in a lot of ways for workers across industries, how you are feeling and, and, and what of the strikes has, has kind of resonated with you the most? It's been really exciting. I mean, I think everyone is pretty stoked about the UAW strike and the ensuing contract that I think the workers are voting on right now. It seems like it'll probably be a slam dunk, but you never know. It's up to, it's up to them. But I just think so much of the dialogue and the enthusiasm that we've seen kick up thanks to that strike and, of course, the ongoing SAG-AFTRA strike and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette strike and all of these strikes that are happening, the walkout of pharmacy technicians, the work that the Union of Southern Service Workers continues to do in the South. Like, there's so much going on, and it, it really seems like, like people have realized that there are ways to get involved, even if they don't currently work at a unionized workplace or they're not in an industry or a job title that's able to unionize through traditional means yet, like people are getting involved. And I think younger people, especially, you know, I think there's a, uh, this impulse among, especially like older generations to kind of wave away social media as something that matters. It's like, you know, Oh, the TikTok, like whatever those kids are doing, the kids are educating and radicalizing on TikTok. (laughs) and on Instagram, on Twitter, well, you know, there was <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh. <laughs> and one thing that has given me a lot of hope too, is seeing the way that rank and file union members and some 
straight up and some unions and some union councils have been rallying around the cause of the Palestinian people, Palestinian workers in a way that's caused a lot of friction in the movement that I think is, it needs to be there. There's some tension there that needs to kind of be pushed because I think it's becoming clear that, you know, our elected union leadership isn't always on the same page as the people they're supposed to represent. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with that? It's kind of, you know, we were talking about the, the upcoming elections. That's kind of that question writ large. What do you do when the will of the members or the people doesn't reflect the actions or the statements of the yep. people yep. in charge? Well, like you could do what, you know, in, uh, you know, obviously not this current moment. It took a few years to get here, but the whole reason we have Sean Fain and this new energized militant UAW is because uh, rank and file workers with the um, UAW United for, uh, I can't remember the acronym, but they won. There, there's a group, basically a group of reform minded rank and file workers in the UAW pushed to get this reform slate going. He's the first a democratically elected president of the UAW's history. And wow. Doing, right? Like, like that's what we saw at the Teamsters with Sean O'Brien. That was because of a reform movement, the Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Like, we've seen that it is possible to change leadership, to change priorities, to change political alignments. And I really think this might be one of the tipping points. Like, we're going to see, like, a lot of rank and file union members I've seen and spoken to are really pissed at the statements we're seeing from the AFL-CIO or from their union presidents or, and, or are being, you know, compelled to use their labor to perpetuate this slaughter. And I think there's going to be a reckoning in the next few years when it comes to who's in charge of these unions because union leader terms don't last forever. Let me let me ask you this, too, because I think that what has happened with kind of, like you said, the the re-education or the education in the first place for people happening via social media, whether that is TikTok or Instagram or the like about unions. Talk to us about why unions kind of broke down in terms of favor, right? Public favor, pub the public being supportive of unions. Unions had a big surge. We had the Industrial Revolution. We had all of these factories. We have all of these deaths and horrible things that are happening. People begin to, you know, to unionize, right, to get things like a five-day work week, to get things like rid of things like child labor, to get, you know, um, benefits and safety measures put in place so that, frankly, they're able to do their jobs and not risk life and limb, literally. And so... This happens, and then it's as if the workers themselves turned on the very support system that was put in place in order to make sure that they would be okay. So I just want you to be able to help us understand the why that happened, and then, yeah, and then the up and the up and down, because now we're back in an up place where we're talking about unions in a way that, frankly, I don't think that we've talked about unions and I've been in politics and policy for a while in like 15, 20 years. Yeah. There's been a big shift. Like we, we are so back. Um, but I think a lot of it goes back to what all went down in the eighties under the Reagan administration. Like you can't, 
you can't pin, pin everything terrible in our world on that guy, but you can pin a lot. A lot. Like a lot of our current yeah. societal and political problems go right back to that motherfucker. So <laughs> him breaking the PATCO strike and really encouraging this greed is good, anti-labor, anti-worker sentiment, and showing corporations and bosses that, oh, we can get away with not working with unions. We can get away with busting strikes. We can get away with hiring scabs. It was kind of this big shift. And you add in all of the things that have happened since then, whether it's deindustrialization or offshoring and the rise of right-to-work laws, so-called right-to-work laws that Republicans have pushed all over the place, the weakening of existing labor laws, the rise of corporate media that is either explicitly anti-labor or kind of like you, you could tell, like they're just not interested in corporate labor. No, There's, I mean, people who have studied this and are much smarter than me have really broken it down in a lot of ways. But I feel like that's that's the vibe that we're dealing with. That's the tide we've been swimming against because the labor movement never went anywhere, it just lost a lot of power. But we're at this moment where I think the biggest change has been the availability of information. This is something, even back in 2015, when I was organizing at my last workplace, our biggest hurdle wasn't that people were anti-union or that they had ingested like a lot of anti-union talking points, is that they didn't know what a union was, uh, what it could do for them, or that they were even eligible to join one. And once we got past that hurdle, we organized like 500 people. Like That's how I ended up here. Like I was, I was, I kind of ended up here by accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that is really uh, fueling this change is the fact that there is so much more access to information, pro-union, or even just fair coverage of unions and of what they do and of what workers' rights could and should look like. The fact that we have labor reporters and public like progressive publications like in these times and labor notes and uh the, even the nation, the baffler, places like that, that are really pouring resources and energy into covering these movements. Even main, like mainstream ass corporate media has been covering the UAW strikes. Like they were covering Striketober when it was happening. Like, like they're covering the variety of the actions that have happening. It's there's been a shift. I think it's really just people realizing, oh, we can do that. And right. If we do right. that, things might actually happen and make happen. I think it's been this kind of realignment of people's expectations of thinking, oh, okay, I don't have to go full, you know, Johnny Paycheck, take this job and shove it. I can stick around and make my job better. Huh. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. 
Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, in all honesty, that's what all of this is about, right? You know, it, it kind of flies in the face of the sentiment that Republicans always try and put out, which is that, honestly, the American people are lazy. They don't want to work. They just want a handout, right? The idea around unions is like, no, I do want to work, but I want dignity and respect and a wage where I can support myself and my family. Right. Like like so. So it's this. And 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 look at any other, I would say, industrialized, greedy ass country. Americans take die with vacation days. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Americans literally go to their grave and could afford I could have could could have afforded a month months off, but didn't take their but didn't take their time off because somehow we have been. We have been forced into this belief, this perverse idea that the more that we produce, the better of a human that we are. Right. And so if you and so it's just like this. I feel like unions fly in the face of that where it's just like, no, I want to work. I just I I, want to be able to like not just be working to survive like I'd actually like a life. I think that's such a huge part of it. Like we've we've been hoodwinked. We've been yes. taught that, yeah, the, yeah, the harder you work, the better person you are. Like that, like vintage Puritan Protestant work ethic. We've been, we've been, inter- we've internalized or been forced to internalize, and that, that like very American individualistic sort mm-hmm. of character, sort of quality that is so celebrated. You know, the Horatio Algers, the Great Man Theory, all of that bullshit that makes us more isolated and more. Uh, like islands into ourselves. And that is not how human beings are meant to operate. We're a collective species, communal species. Like we do best when we're in groups like guinea pigs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's, I think that's a big part of the shift too. Like this shift from people thinking, how am I going to get mine and take care of my family to, Oh, how, are we going to take care of everyone at this workplace? How are we going to take care of everyone in our union? How are we going to take care of the whole working class? 
And I do, even though he's not, you know, he's not covering himself in glory right now, I do have to uh, kind of point back to the Bernie Sanders campaigns for president with that mm-hmm. whole 99% idea, the post-Occupy, you know, the 99%, like it's us against them idea. I think for a lot of folks, especially in like, I think our generation and maybe even a little younger, that was kind of one of the first political awakenings we had of like, oh, like us, we're in this protest, we're in this occupation, we're in this group versus the bad guys. Like, yeah. We're not, yeah. We're not wanting what they have. We're wanting what we deserve. And I think that shift is still being felt. You know, it's a lot of different factors. You know, it, it's so interesting, too, because. I honestly, and you may laugh at this, I believe that the advent of reality TV has a lot to do with that. I think that, yeah, I think that this obsession with wealth and with consumption and materialism had people believe that they were just one experience, one check, one lottery ticket away from living this life. So they coveted, right, in this very jealous-minded space, but then all of a sudden, the chasm, right, between my super sweet 16 and now a Kim Kardashian being a billionaire and having her own jet, being part of, being part of the machinery that built that with our viewership, with our, you know, with our desire to, like, peek inside of that world. And I think that a lot of We've watched this and we've seen like, wait a minute, how how did they get even more money than what we started out watching 10, 15 years ago? Like, I'm still in the same apartment watching <laughs> this show, but they but they're on, they own an island now? How the fuck that happened? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I feel I do, I feel like that kind of voyeurism into wealth. I mean, you've seen some of these real housewife people get caught up with tax evasion and all of these things grifting off of this idea that they have more, you know, than they actually have. And so I just I'm just curious, like how you think that pop culture and our American obsession with wealth um, has also played a part into this big awakening where we're realizing that the 99 percent of us are still in the same place. And this 1% has gotten, like, went from millionaires to billionaires in that same time. That's so interesting to think about. Like, so if you think, like before the advent of mass media, nobody really knew what the really rich people were up to or what they right. had. They yep. didn't know it could come like, oh, I, want, I wish I had a carriage or a big house or my own right. car. But they didn't have, like shoved in their face like look at all the nice shiny things we have that you never will or maybe you could if you end up on the right tv show it's very charlie and the chocolate factory like if yes you secret, yes and, and then everything changes uh but even in that allegory like a bunch of people have to die for that kid to win the chocolate factory um, there's probably something to that but right yeah, this idea of wealth being like the end-all be-all goal of everyone that's yeah you work hard you make money you go to college you marry someone with a decent job you get a house like this whole american dream that we're we're supposed to strive for which has never been available to everybody anyway most of us really that was just a way to keep us in line and keep us going to work right and just seeing the, the ostentatious just sort of 
gilded garbage that like the the Jeff Bezos of the world and all the other right like I'm I'm on it like Jeff Bezos started a company that was about books right then turned into just goods and he's sitting literally on a rocket ship platform talking about thanks to the people who work at Amazon and consume Amazon products and you're like but what happened here? Right. Like, Do you know what I'm saying? So they're 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 don't make money anymore. <laughs> right. And so there is this thing where there have always been wealthy people. There have always been right the 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 quote unquote captains of industries, the Rockefellers and the this that and the other thing. But you were not brought. It was not shoved in your face. It was not made to be entertainment in the way that it is. And I think that we're kind of in a period where I wonder if it will be entertaining five, if it'll be still be entertaining 10 years from now. Because I tell you that I look in the comment sections now of some of these, some of these very ostentatious celebrities and I see what people write. And I'm like, oh, you were not writing that three years ago, right? Like you were not coming for so-and-so in that way about being greedy and what are you giving back? And, you know, it's extract, extract. Like you weren't saying that. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think that it, we're at a very interesting period, and I'll, I'll give you this last last question because I think that we're at a very interesting period 
the last time we spoke, I said, you know, is this a moment or is it a movement? And this this kind of, I guess, toss up space that we're in is going to coincide with this next presidential election. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, do you think that after these deals are made and these strikes subside, will there still be the momentum of trying to create a better life and a better society for, you know, for all people, the majority of us? Honestly, I depending on what goes on with the next election, I don't think anything is going to get that much better for any of us, right? It's just going to get different degrees of worse in yeah. terms of what the government has to offer. So I think, and I hope that people are going to continue to look to the labor movement and their unions and their, you know, the ways that they're able to organize to try and make the best of a bad situation. Because we've, it's become very clear on many, many levels, even to people who might have been true believers four years ago, that they don't really care about us. And they're not looking out for us. If they were, would have canceled student debt, would have, you know, actually put a little effort into doing something about COVID, which is still killing people out here. You know, like there's a million things they, they could have, should have, would have done, but they didn't. And now people are seeing, oh, well, the UAW, they just won their members like a, like these huge raises, like Kaiser Permanente, when those workers yeah. were on the strike, they got a bunch of protections. Like, I think you guys still are kind of the only shot we have in terms of like immediate collective action yielding immediate results. I mean, obviously like the broader struggles for liberation are going to take a little bit, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not going to be instantaneous, but one thing about unions that I appreciate, and I think that does appeal to folks is that you can, you get to see the fruits of your labor like pretty quick. Like once you get that contract, once you sign on the dotted line, like your next paycheck looks a little different and that is something that yeah, yeah. something material that's really fires people up. And honestly, you know, it we the, these these uh strikes we've been seeing, the labor activity we've been seeing, I don't think it's going to stop because there's always more union contracts that are expiring. Yeah. You know? I mean, yep. Sean Fain came out here and said, you know, they said their next contract to expire gave everyone a deadline and like, I mean, what if we did a general strike? You know, um, that's a whole other conversation. Right. But even just setting that just shows like, oh, we're not we're not done. We're not. This is hopefully just the beginning. And yeah. no matter what happens with the election, I'm sure that's going to be a whole it's going to give us all agita. It's going to be a whole fucking thing. Uh, nothing good. <laughs> nothing good's going to happen. Um, and I'm sure that the more corporatized wing of the organized labor movement is going to be all riding with Biden and all of that and try and get all their members to vote and just do all the same shit that they waste our membership money on every four years. But <laughs> really, I think I really hope people hold on to this idea that the only people we can really depend on are ourselves and our neighbors, yes. our coworkers, yep. the people we're in community with. And that's how it's always been. You know, all the rest of it is just noise. Yeah, a hundred percent. Kim Kelly, every time that you join Woke AF, I'm just I'm I'm always so pleased and and grateful for your insights. Um and I can't wait to just continue the conversation. Thank you so much for having me and let me go and let me swear a little bit because you know. all the time. <laughs> These motherfuckers <laughs> appreciate you. 
That is it for me today, dear friends, on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 